And if you need a Bible, we're going to be referring to it this morning. How many of you, I want you to raise your hand if you've um, ever watched Sesame Street. Raise your hand if you've ever watched Sesame Street. Yeah, yeah. Remember the skit where they, they have, they repeat it every once in a while, the skit that goes, uh, which one of these is not like the other? Yeah, yeah. They, they put up like three vegetables and then like an ice cream cone on a felt board and, and the kids had to guess which one wasn't like the other. Well, this morning we're going to play which pastor's not like the other. We have three pastors at ARC, Sabidi, where's Jeremy, is he taking care of the baby, and me, all right, now let's think about which one of these pastors is not like the other, you're already saying Jeremy, <laughs> I don't even want to ask why, let's take pulpit style, me, I'm a stiff, I, I just get up here, I'm going to be right behind this, when we start going into the word, I'm just going to be staying right behind here. Jeremy, he got up to preach last week, and what he, this is like his backyard. He got us up on our feet and shaking hands and hugging each other and that kind of, he's just so friendly, Jeremy, right? How Thabiti, this is like, I don't know, like an 80s jazz club or something, and, <laughs> and this pulpit, it's the bar, you know, like, he just, he just owns this thing. He's just up here, like, hey, how you doing? Like, yeah, yo, <laughs> you know? Okay, how about like fashion? Let's look at fashion. Like me, I'm just, you know, I get most of my clothes out of a catalog, and that's even free because I use my LL Bean credit card. <laughs> I'm just, I'm all buttoned up and tucked in. I can't help it, you know. Jeremy, now Jeremy, he's hip. He hasn't been tucked in since the fifth grade. <laughs> and that's because his mom made him do it for photos, that school photos that day. Now, Sabidi, well, now there's a man committed to fashion, right? Sabidi, you know a man is committed to fashion when his wardrobe changes with the seasons. <laughs> Did you see him on the 1st of October when he came in here to preach? He looked like a fall festival. <laughs> he had this orange, that orange shirt, you remember that? Yeah, who could forget that? <laughs> I thought he looked like a big pumpkin. Which one of these pastors is not like the other? I think it's me. <laughs> what do we always say? We don't take ourselves seriously, but we take God's word seriously. And in that case, all three of us have that very much in common, and we praise God for that. And in this morning's passage, we have a serious question. And it's no exaggeration to say it, it is the most important question that will ever be put to you. More than, what do you want to be when you grow up? More than, will you marry me? Turn with me to Matthew 16. It, you'll find it, if you have one of those blue Bibles, you'll find it on page 822. Matthew chapter 16. We're going to begin reading in verse 13. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, 
you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus, Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. I've got three questions this morning that will serve as our outline. Okay, three questions. Who am I? That's going to cover verses 13 to 17. Who am I? The second question, who's got the keys? Who's got the keys? Verses 18 to 19. And then the third question, who cares? Who cares? Who am I? Who's got the keys? Who cares? Sounds like my teenage kids over the years. Who am I? Who's got the keys? Who cares? <laughs> Let me give you a couple of fast facts here before we jump in. Caesarea Philippi, that's that town that's referenced here. It's a fascinating stage for this to take place. This town was previously a center for Canaanite Baal worship. In other words, idol worship. It was renamed after Caesar. Remember, Caesar claimed divinity. He was thought to be a god. And then that second part, um, Philippi, well, that's named after Herod's son, Philip, in an attempt to honor himself. He named that himself. So consider what Jesus is asking and where he's asking it. Jesus picks this well-worn place of false worship to say, who am I? Who am I? Here's another fast fact before we get started. This portion of scripture really marks the, the central turning point in Matthew's gospel. It is the center of the story, if you will. So Jesus' ministry is, moves up to this episode and the recognition of his messianic nature and then down to the cross, down to the cross. These few verses in one sense really function as a kind of, a kind of final exam for the, for the apostles, all right? All right, so question number one, who am I? Beginning in verse 13, there's actually a question, then three answers, then another question, and then another answer. So the first question comes, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, it's a general question. He's asking about the larger Jewish population, those who, frankly, I think, look favorably on Jesus. He's, he's not asking about the scribes and Pharisees, and I think you can tell that based on the response that the apostles give him. Uh, verse 14, here comes your first answer. Some say John the Baptist. So some thought John was reincarnated, where he came back from the grave to continue his ministry, which was what? Announcing the Messiah. So John would say things like, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Well, that sounds like Jesus. He's, I can imagine why he got mis mistaken for, for uh, John the Baptist. How about answer number two? They said, the, the, the apostle said, others say Elijah. Well, he was considered to be the, these kind of supreme Old Testament prophet from the, that the Lord was going to send again. Remember Elijah? It's probably one of your favorite Sunday school stories when Elijah takes on the Baal, the, the Baal worshipers. You know, he confronts these 450 prophets of Baal and four, 400 prophets of Asherah. 
1 Kings 18.20, he asked the people of Israel, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal, then follow him. Well, this sounds like Jesus. I mean, if you think Jesus was all cuddly and warm and fuzzy, I think you're wrong. Jesus was a stick in the eye, especially to leaders, right? So it's, it's, not, it's not easy to imagine that. It's not hard to imagine why they thought he might be the new Elijah, the next Elijah. They gave him a third answer. They said, and others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Now, Jeremiah's message, he was kind of known as the prophet of doom. The very people he was trying to help, that is Jeremiah, his own people, the Jewish people, they opposed him to say the least. Why? Well, Jeremiah predicted the downfall of Judah and the destruction of the temple. That sound familiar? Matthew 23, Jesus denounces the scribes and Pharisees saying they will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And in chapter 24, he predicts the destruction of the temple. It's easy to see why people confused Jesus with Jeremiah. So now in all three of these answers, John the Baptist, Elijah, and Jeremiah, the, Jesus is seen merely as a forerunner to the Messiah, not the actual Messiah. But he's kind of gifted. He's got these miraculous powers that they can't quite explain. To put it bluntly, he was respected and even marveled at, but he wasn't recognized as the Messiah. Does that sound familiar even today? How many politicians or actors or maybe your next-door neighbor, they kind of appreciate Jesus. They, they maybe even see him as better than everybody else, maybe the best example that's ever walked the earth. But they don't give a darn about him being Lord. <laughs> they don't really think he has something to say about this life or the next. They appreciate him. All right, how about the second question? Now more specific and targeted. Verse 15, Jesus says, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replies, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. So Peter gets a perfect 10 for a technically correct answer here. He, he, he hit it just right. But it doesn't appear as though he fully knew all that he meant, all that he was saying, based on reading further into the chapter. You've got to remember that he kind of came with this, this preconception. The Jews had been taught to expect this conquering and reigning king, a Messiah who delivers God's people from their enemies. They expected a son of David who would restore the nation to the glory in, and the independence that the first king David had. Those were the good days, and this Messiah was going to return them to those kind of days. In that sense, some think Peter's line was as much a political statement as it was a spiritual one. The Jewish people, God's people, they were subject to and enslaved and oppressed by this brutal Roman government. And Peter assumes that the Messiah's mission is one of glory and, a, and success and freeing them not of suffering and defeat. 
and execution. It must have been bewildering to the disciples to see Jesus perform these miracles and not use his power to overthrow Rome. His humility, his meekness, was in total contrast to what they had expected. When you hear this declaration, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, does it strike you as audacious, incredibly radical, really risky? Or is it kind of lost on you? so familiar, we've kind of domesticated it like a pet. Imagine how strange it was to hear that declaration for the first time. How about Mary, (laughs) mother of Jesus? She heard it. She's visited by this angel Gabriel, and Gabriel says this to her, You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. Huh. How about Simeon? Simeon heard it. Remember him? He was described as a righteous and devout man waiting for the consolation of Israel. Mary and Joseph bring to the temple baby Jesus in following the custom of the law. Simeon takes that boy in his arms and he says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The long-awaited Messiah, Deliverer, has come. I pray we don't confuse why he has come or lose the wonder and the awe that he came. (laughs) Especially when you consider who he came for. In verse 17, we have Jesus' response to Peter's declaration. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Do you know how many people saw and heard Jesus? Who witnessed his miracles? who even even ate some of the the bread and some of the fish or drank some of the wine that he made out of nothing. And yet, did not believe. It would have been thousands. Would you have believed? I tell you, you wouldn't. You wouldn't. Not in your own strength. These things are not discerned by flesh and blood. They must be revealed by God. The Spirit opened their minds and reveals this truth to to Peter, and it still takes the Spirit to open the heart of the unconverted today. 
If you know Jesus as your deliverer, if you know him as your Lord and Savior, blessed are you. Blessed are you. Blessed are you, Adrian. Blessed are you, Nick. Blessed are you, Tiffany. Carol, you're blessed. <laughs> right? God has revealed this to you. <laughs> That's amazing. Let's keep walking through the paragraph. Now I'm in my second part of the outline, okay? Question number two, who's got the keys? So we're looking at verses 18 to 20. Who's got the keys? So in verses 13 to 17, you had this pattern of questions and answers. Now you have four declarations or four assertions. So here's assertion number one, verse 18. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. This line, on this rock I will build my church, has caused endless controversy in the church's history. What does this rock mean? Does it mean the man Peter? Or does it mean Peter's confession? Or was there some sign language going on that, that we couldn't capture in the writing and Jesus is actually, it's a self-reference, he's pointing back to himself, on this rock I will build my church. What's it mean? Well, our Roman Catholic friends have insisted that this passage teaches that the church was built on the person of Peter. He became the first pope or bishop of Rome, and he followed by a long line of successors up until the present day Pope Francis. The pope is considered to be the head of the church, and in his official capacity as head of the church, he is said to speak with divine authority equal to that of God and Scripture. Well, could this be correct? Well, finally, it only takes till chapter 18, verse 1, for the disciples to ask Jesus, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? <laughs> Apparently, they didn't think Peter was the go-to guy. <laughs> and in Acts 2.42, the verse that we looked at last week with Jeremy, we know that the early church devoted themselves to what? Come on. <laughs> the apostles' teaching and the breaking of bread. So they, they, they did not devote themselves to Peter himself. In Ephesians, just one place we could look at, it very much suggests it's not Peter the man. Listen, listen to Ephesians 2. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on, what? The foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Now, this is not to diminish Peter's role. He was clearly a leading apostle. You see that in Acts. He led in uh, the preaching and in the working of miracles. I think it's safest to conclude Jesus builds the church on both Peter and his confession. It, it's difficult to separate the two. So by all appearances, the church began with Peter, and in that sense, Peter is the foundation of the church, but it is his confession, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, that is ultimate. 
however you conclude this passage should be interpreted, the basic truth remains, and that's this. The foundation of the church is the revelation of God given through his apostles, and the Lord of the church is the cornerstone of that foundation. All right, assertion number two. You'll find it in verse 18 again. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now here, I think most of my life, I've, I've heard this saying used as a metaphor for like the power of hell or the power of Satan. But the gate image is suggesting something else. It's, it's suggesting a, a holding back or a locking up or an imprisoning. Well, imprisoning what? Do you know? I think the answer is death. It's imprisoning, the gates are imprisoning death. Hell is the realm of the dead and full of those who are dead as a result of their sins and transgressions. So in contrast to those who've been born again or are born again to a living hope, such as the living God in verse 16, death will not be able to imprison and hold the church of the living God. I'm not saying you're not going to face trials. I'm not saying you're going to not lose your job or get sick. I'm not saying your loved ones aren't going to die. This promise, the gates of hell will not prevail against it, is a promise to the church, to all those who are in Christ. It's a promise that the gates of hell will be shut up to this new community. Paul says the same thing a little differently in 1 Corinthians 15. Death has been swallowed up in victory. I love that image. Death has been swallowed up <laughs> in victory. Death, where's your victory? Death, where's your sting? Gates of hell are not going to prevail against this church. Not against the church of Christ. Not against all those who are in Christ, who have repented and believed and own Him, who can declare you are the Christ. Assertion number three, verse 19. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. So we've already established that Peter, by virtue of his confession, is the foundation of the church, and Christ's kingdom will be extended through the church, now Jesus is giving him the keys of the kingdom. So keys is a metaphor for authority. Peter, the apostles, the church, they're being given authority to declare certain things on earth represent the realities of heaven. In other words, they're being given authority to distinguish between one type of profession made in Jesus' name from another. What's going on here? Christ is building an assembly of people. The new assembly, this, this ecclesia, this church, is not a physical building. It does not have a common ancestor. He is rejecting the peace, people of, of Israel and their unbelief and their unfaithfulness. He's forming a new people. And it is a group built on a common belief, a common confession. A key is something that opens or shuts or locks or unlocks or allowing or preventing a person from entering into a building, right? 
The metaphor implies either entrance or exclusion. And Peter, and by extension the church, have these keys. What do those keys do? That's assertion number four. Verse 19, back in verse 19. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. What on earth does that mean? <laughs> okay, to bind something is to forbid it. To loose something is to permit it. So whatever you forbid on earth shall be forbid in heaven. Whatever you permit on earth shall be permitted in heaven. So remember the context of this verse. Jesus has just declared Peter is the foundation, the rock, on which he's going to build his church because of what? His right confession. He's giving Peter the keys, and now he's saying bind or loose. Forbid or permit. And that means Jesus is giving him the same authority. He's giving Peter the same authority that, that Jesus himself just exercised. The authority to stand in front of a gospel confessor, to hear his or her gospel confession, and to announce an official judgment on heaven's behalf. This is or is not a right confession. This is or is not a right confessor. Exercising the keys or binding or, and loosing is rendering judgment on both the person's confession and his witness. Peter must ensure that the right people belong to the church according to the same confession that he's just made. So we recognize this authority in our own statement of faith. If you look, uh, grab your bulletin and turn to page 11 with me. We'll look at paragraph 7, just right there at the very top. We'll just read one of these paragraphs together. Page 11 at the very top, paragraph 7. Let's read together. To each of these churches, gathered as described in God's Word... The Lord has given all the power and authority needed to worship Him and to engage in church discipline as He requires, including by establishing rules needed to use this power and authority properly. Now, the reference to church discipline in a nutshell is the act of binding and loosing. Okay? We are called to protect the purity of Christ's bride, the church, by rightly judging each other according to God's word. Let's try to make this really super clear by an example. Let's say everyone over here are Redskins fans. All right? All over here. You're, okay, we got, a, we got an amen over here. Okay. You guys bleed burgundy and gold. You got Art Monk and Sonny Jurgensen signed autographed t-shirts and stuff. You have all the hogs, bobbleheads. Bible yeah. You have Redskins pillowcases on your bed. When you die, you plan to have half of your ashes spread over RFK and the other half over FedEx Field. And you are in it. And then here comes Jeremy. Okay? Jeremy wants to join the group. He wants to join your fan club. He says the right things, and Jeremy wears the right things. 
He even shows you a picture of him getting baptized by Joe Gibbs. And he's impressive. (laughs) One day, Jeremy asked for a ride to the Redskins game, but he wasn't quite ready. You came to pick him up. Tiffany makes the mistake and opens the door and lets you in. And what do you discover? Jeremy's house is decorated with cowboy stuff. (laughs) It's everywhere. Blue and silver. And over the the main part of the house, the the prized position over the mantle, there it is, a gold-framed oil painting of Jerry Jones, (laughs) the owner of the Dallas Cowboys. What's Jeremy doing? What? Perpetrator. (laughs) I was thinking more hypocrite. (laughs) He's saying one thing and doing another. Should Jeremy be in the Redskins fan club? He's not a true believer. It would be right for you guys to exercise the keys or to discipline him from your fan club. You don't want hypocrites in your club. You want true believers, don't you? Well, in a much more serious way and with eternal consequences. This is what Jesus is talking about in these verses. Any Bible study you do, any sermon you come to hear, should really, it'd be good to have kind of an outline in your own head, you know, say, what does it say? Well, we've already read it. What does it mean? Well, I think I've just unpacked very quickly for you what this section means. And then that third area, what does it mean for me? Now I'm going to try to give you particulars about what this means for you, Belle, <laughs> you know, for you, Sarah, for you, Jeff. What does it mean for you? What do these verses mean? I got a couple categories. So this is this question three, who cares? Well, the first category of who should care is the individual believer should care. Every believer should care. Those of us who've grown up in America or in a Western context, we prize a couple things. We, we, we prize the individual. We cherish our privacy and we claim all sorts of rights around these two. Our, culture, our cultural icons are strong and, and independent characters, aren't they? In the 70 years since the movie It's a Wonderful Life came out, look at how even our movies have changed to reflect the culture. George Bailey, he was the main character in there. I didn't like that movie when I was a kid. Now that I'm old, I love that movie. I relate to that movie. George Bailey, he's known by the community. George Bailey sacrificed for the community. And in the end, George Bailey was surrounded by the community. You know that scene? He, he's in his living room, and the whole neighborhood, and the whole, all of his friends and workers and everything, they pile in and they sing Old Lang Syne. And he is surrounded by the community. Well, compare this to like Tom Cruise's Jack Reacher character, or Jason... What's that, Jason Bourne? Matt Damon's Jason Bourne character? Talk about independent. Talk about outside of the community. So you believers, those of you who, who have said and would still claim you are the Christ, I'm talking to you now, okay? Has the culture affected your heart? 
more than God's word has when it comes to how you view and live within the church community? Do you prize your me time and your own comfort above your brothers and sisters in Christ? Are you devoted to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship? In our verses, Jesus sets this foundation for the church. Are you ignoring or are you indifferent to what he bought with his own blood? Put it this way. Are you in enough? Are you in enough that you could faithfully exercise the keys to the kingdom to bind and loose in your local body, whether it's this one or another one? Are you in enough? The individual believer should care. Here's a second category that should care. The church should care. The church should care. What is the church? The church on earth is, a, is the society of people who share Peter's profession that Jesus is the Messiah King. It's the, the, the society where Jesus Christ's kingdom is represented and put on display for the whole world to see and extended by calling others to Christ, the Son of the living God. That's why we've worked so hard these past seven months. Each part of the ARC's statement of faith and we've interviewed each incoming member. Why? As a church, we need to ensure that each person coming into our ARC can answer this question, who do you say that I am? And that means we have to exercise the keys. We have to bind and loose. Jeremy talked last week about Costco membership, right? We got different requirements than Costco. It takes more than 25 bucks and a lousy picture on the back of a credit card. Now, can't you hear the world just murmuring in the background? Who made you judge? Who are you to judge what I believe? Well, actually, Jesus did. Right here in this passage. You ever hear that question again? Go to Matthew 16. He said that, not me. We must not let the world's wrong judging of us keep from the right judging we are called to do. Not mean judging, right judging. Now, in a group this size, I know there's any number of you who have been hurt by a previous church experience by so-called shepherds. I've heard some horror stories. Heavy-handed authority, exercising authority beyond the bounds, using authority for their own gain. Let me tell you, there's nothing new under the sun. Go back to Ezekiel. We got the same problem. And you know what happened to those unfaithful shepherds? God judged them. But before you feel too good about yourself about those shepherds getting judged, God judges in Revelation whole churches because they were wayward, unfaithful. Here's my point. The church must exercise the keys and bind and loose if it is to be faithful. Period. Full. Stop. But 
The church only has authority if we have the truth of God's authoritative word by which to judge. The source of the church's authority is not in itself. It's not in Jeremy. It's not in Thabiti. It's not in Matt. It's not emanating. My, the authority that I exercise as a pastor is not in me. It's not coming. It's not emanating from me. We do not determine what is right or wrong, forgiven or unforgiven. Christians assembled in the church can authoritatively declare what is acceptable to God or forbidden by Him only because we have His Word. And on that basis, we recognize and proclaim what God has already determined to be right or wrong, forgiven or unforgiven. When we judge on the basis of God's Word and only God's Word, we can be certain then that our judgment corresponds with the judgment of heaven. Do you ever wonder how those two, how those two connect? It's the Word of God. How can we so confidently declare what's going on in heaven? It's because the Word of God. In other words, when believers are in agreement with God's Word, God is in agreement with them. At Anacostia River Church, there is no other rule book. There is no other standard. There are no other qualifications. The church should care. Third category that should care, the undeclared should care. The undeclared should care. Those who have not named Jesus as the Christ. What's keeping you back? Do you really think there's no plan in history to be discovered? Are we really utterly isolated in the midst of a purposeless universe? Do you think you have time? Is the thing you are pursuing better than real life, eternal life? Or do you think the question Jesus is asking isn't pertinent to you? The word says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All are in need of a deliverer, a redeemer, a savior. There's nothing within yourself that can make you good enough. There is no sacrifice you can make that would satisfy the debt you owe. Jesus came as a substitute. He stood in the place of condemnation. He hung on a brutal cross, rose from the dead, and now sits enthroned in heaven. His words were and are, repent and believe. You come. Don't bring your money. Don't bring your puny good deeds. You cannot buy this salvation and you cannot earn it. Jesus paid your debt. It's now up to you to declare. Who do you say that I am? Who is Jesus Christ? 
you will not be asked ever a more important question. It is no exaggeration when I say it is the ultimate question because on it hinges your eternal destiny. Every soul that draws breath will be asked this question, what's at stake? We're told again from this word, damnation and hell, a place of suffering, darkness, a place where there is no grace and God is your enemy for eternity. Or, (laughs) joy in heaven with a living God where there's life. (laughs) If Jesus stood before you right here, right now, and asked you, who do you say that I am? How would you answer? Okay, we're done. Here's the, ner- the sermon in a nutshell. Ready? If you, like Peter, can answer Jesus' question, who do you say that I am, with the declaration, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, then you are truly blessed because God has revealed this to you. And you have responsibilities to be a part of a church. It could be this one or some other one where you can link arms with like-minded professors and exercise the keys of the kingdom, bind and loose. Okay, last thing I'll say. In verse 20, let's look at the word one last time. Verse 20, Jesus strictly charged the disciples to tell, that, tell no one that he was the Christ. Why did he do that? He wasn't yet ready for his full identity revealed. His work was not yet completed. That secret keeping is in play no more. (laughs) Go ahead and tell someone what you believe. Tell someone. From the four corners of this block, as we say, to the four corners of the globe. Tell someone. Tell someone that you serve a living God the one true God, Jesus Christ. Let's pray.